Uh, Sarah and I were um, having a, a very pleasant Saturday lunch with some friends yesterday. Um, it, it's an interesting story there, actually. I don't know how many years it was uh, that we didn't see this particular friend. Um, was it about 30 years? 30 years. Yeah. Uh, there was a, we, we had a friend in Newcastle upon Tyne and, uh, and, and she moved to Leeds after that and we moved around and then obviously we came to Otley and we've been in Otley 19 years and for 18 of those years we didn't see her and we saw her last year um, and we've seen her again which is great well we were having, um, we were having a, a conversation uh, she used to go to church when uh, that's how we knew her in Newcastle um, I don't think she's got much interest in that these days that would be my understanding um, but th- th- they were asking what, what we were doing this weekend or the other busy weekend and I said well I've got to go home now and finish off my sermon and they said oh well you know what are you, what are you preaching about so I said I'm preaching uh, from James about uh, about the tongue um, and, uh, and you know about how we should use our sen- uh, tongue in the right way and she said well that won't be a very long sermon then will it um, so uh, <laughs> You could argue that. Uh, you could argue that I could just say to you, be careful what you say, and then we could all go home. Um, and in a way, that is, of course, uh, the core message. That is, that is what James is, is saying to us. Uh, but there is more in there, so I'm going to keep you a little, a little while longer yet. Um, so I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, but um, uh, I will keep you somewhat longer. Um, this, uh, this particular um, passage, which... Um, we, we're looking at uh, does build on what um, James has been saying previously um, in the earlier part of his letter um, the very obvious way it builds on what he's saying earlier in that he's been talking about the importance of our faith being demonstrated through our works and of course words are works words, the words we speak and how we use our tongue are a really important part of how we demonstrate our faith um, and uh, it's a really important way in which we show uh, our right living. Uh, but he has trailed this, you know. You know, these days you get a bit of a trailer um, for just about everything. You know, sort of uh, whet your appetite for for what is to come, and you always hope they don't, you know, give you too much uh, of the plot. Uh, well, he's already talked about it in uh, earlier in um, in the letter. He's talked about it in chapter one, in both verse, uh, nine, verse nineteen and twenty six. And in twenty six, in particular, he says, um, "If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, that person's religion is worthless." Pretty strong words. We talked about it a few weeks ago. But basically, what he's saying there is. Uh, what we say is incredibly important. And in fact, if we use our tongue, if we say the wrong thing, then our religion is worthless. It's, it's that important. And now he goes on to, uh, to develop uh, that theme. The, uh, the picture, we always have a picture. Uh, the picture, you might, you might know this one. It's a bit more famous than some of the others that we've been uh, looking at previously. Uh, this is um, by Turner, yeah, and it's one of my. It's probably one of the very first pictures I ever learned. You know what it was and who it was by, um, and it's uh, it's the Fighting Temeraire. There is a there is a longer title. I'm not exactly sure um, what the longer title is, but it's it's the Fighting Temeraire. It's painted in 1838, and the Fighting Temeraire um, fought in the Napoleonic Wars. 
Um, I don't know if it was actually at, um, uh, you know, I don't know which battles it, it particularly was at, but it fought. It was a British warship that fought against um, the French in the Napoleonic Wars, and uh, so it's you know similar age to the victory. And this this is its last voyage. Very poignant, you know this this old big old battleship uh, being um, towed to the breakers yard, and and th- there's lots of messages going on in here, I would imagine. But you can see that it's being pulled by a steam tug, and that I think it was Turner talking about, you know, history moving on and things changing. Um, but but of course it's it's relevant to the sermon tonight because. James particularly talks about this tiny tongue that we have and how much good and how much damage it can do. It can move such uh, such things. It can do such big things. And you've got that tiny little steam tug pulling that enormous ship. And, of course, the enormous ship can't move by itself anymore. It hasn't got any sails. But it moves where the little steam tug wants to take it. And what James is saying in a big message is that, in a sense, where our tongue goes, we follow, and, and, and how dangerous that is, and how much, how much damage, uh, but how much good our tongue can do. So small things have big consequences. Uh, for me, um, the obvious uh, passage to pick from the Old Testament to put at the start here is the passage from uh, Isaiah 6 um, where Isaiah goes into the temple and uh, and has uh, a picture and a revelation of God. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. Why am I lost? For I am a man of unclean lips. Because our lips, what we say, betrays our heart and Isaiah understood as James understood that the tongue is key in reflecting who we really are Um, so I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and you know what happens Um, his his lips are symbolically cleansed by by the hot coal and, uh, and and God God cleanses His lips as a sign of of the cleansing of the whole body. Really, um, that for me uh, sums up, in a sense, uh, what underlies uh, what James is going to be talking to us about. Now, um, I couldn't do this without a little bit of context. I always like to do a little bit of context. Um, oh dear! Now that was fine. I thought that was fine when I sent it to Chris, but anyway. Um, it, uh, it probably wasn't. <laughs> I don't know why. Anyway, it was okay when I looked at it on my phone a minute ago, so I don't know. But it's got corrupted somewhere Different along the line. Screen. Different shape screen, probably. Three. Yeah, that, ah, that'll be it. That'll be it, yeah. So that's supposed to say Hellenistic thought there. Okay, so that. So it's, it's uh, yeah, so it's been squashed and forced down onto the next line. So sorry about that. I'm, ho- I'm hoping that doesn't happen to any of the others. But. Um, so James is writing to us, and, and there are three really obvious influences on his writing. Um, Jewish scriptures, so for example, and we, we've said this before, but Proverbs is a, is, is a clear influence on him. And if we look at Proverbs 10 verse 11, it says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. 
And and as you go through Proverbs, there is there's verse after verse after verse, proverb after proverb after proverb about how important what we say is and what it reveals about us. Um, but it's not just the Jewish scriptures which you can see influencing James, and it's uh, worth saying this at this point um, that actually he's very influenced by influenced by a lot of um, Greek writers. Um, you can see echoes of lots of the Greek writers in what he says. Um, Douglas Moo says you can see echo, and I take his word for it. Uh, you can see, <laughs> uh, you can see um, evidence of Plutarch, Aristotle, and Philo. I'll prove the Philo one to you now, because I think this is the this is the one that's most obvious. Philo writes a passage um, in one of his um, letters writings where he talks about the charioteer uh, guiding the horse with the reins and this is a he's going to use it as an analogy and then he goes on and talks about a ship and he says a ship keeps to her straight course when the helmsman grasping the tiller steers accordingly just so the mind but when irrational sense gains the chief place the mind is set on fire and all is ablaze so you've got the idea of reins and horse. Okay, James, will, as we see, uh, as we've seen, uses the bit and the horse, but same same idea. Then uh, the 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 tiller and the or the rudder and the ship, and then the fire, and you can see all of that in James. So I don't think there's any doubt that James is very influenced by not only uh, the Old Testament but also what is being said and discussed and thought about in the Greek-speaking world around him. And it's probably worth thinking about Palestine at that time. A lot of educated people, Jewish people, would have spoken Greek. And there were Greek speakers living in Palestine. And, of course, there were many Jews living outside Palestine in uh, areas where Greek was spoken who would be coming to Jerusalem for the festivals so there was a lot of interplay between Jewish uh, the Jewish probably Aramaic speaking population the Greek speaking population it's quite likely that James well he certainly could read Greek he probably could speak Greek and it's quite likely that Jesus could too something we often don't think about so I think that's worth remembering um, at this point um, and as we said uh, last time, uh, he's also very influenced by Jesus' life and teaching. Obviously, he, um, he grew up with him, um, and, uh, and then he, he would have heard Jesus teach. All those influences, very important, and we'll see them as we go through. But there is a big difference between James's writings and what the Greek writers were saying. And this is a really important point. What, what they were writing about was right thinking. What he's talking about is right living. It's a key, key difference. So yes, he's quite happy to take their writing, use the best of it, reshape it, but he's not going to get suckered into their way of thinking. So I think before... Uh, this was just a digression, but I, I, this, this struck me very strongly, and I wanted just to talk about it before uh, we get into the, <laughs> into the meat of it. Sorry. Um, ooh, so that's supposed to say the Bible, and it's supposed to say the best of the world's thinking. Okay? I, just as a sort of digression, and something that I thought a lot about when I was preparing this, 
there is absolutely no reason why our thinking shouldn't be shaped not only by the Bible, not only by Jesus' life and teaching, but by the best of what the world is saying around us. But we do it carefully, like James did it carefully. So whereas he, he, so he took the best of the Greek thinking and rethought it in the light of Scripture and in the light of Jesus' thinking. Um, so that's what we do. Um, and, uh, and there will be illustrations tonight. Um, not very profound ones I'm afraid um, but it, but we can take things from the world and use them but we always use them in the light of the scriptures and in the light of uh, what we know and believe about Jesus so that was just a bit of a, a sort of contextual digression um, but it struck me as I was um, preparing the uh, the sermon and I, I, I felt I wanted to uh, share it with you now, I'm going to use my own analogy tonight, uh, and, it's of, uh, and it's of illness, really. Um, and uh, so, first of all, we're going to look at symptoms. Because actually, what I think James is doing in this uh, particular section is he's, he's looking at symptoms. That's a way of, of thinking about it. Um, we, as a family, watched House. I don't know if you've ever watched House. We watched House all the way through and we just loved it and, and what I learned I hope there's no, there are no doctors in the house what I learned when I watched House was broadly there are three kinds of disease um, there's, uh, there's, there's autoimmune diseases there are, um, there are diseases which are from uh, you know, infection or from virus so bacteria or, or viral um, disease and there are parasites because I never thought about parasites but the number of tapeworms he discovers in house is <laughs> phenomenal it's very worrying actually you think? anyway um, but if it's not a tapeworm it's sarcoidosis isn't it yes <laughs> I don't know how many how many people come present with sarcoidosis but we used to love it and, and so you know looking at those symptoms and what what are they actually telling us well that's that's what we're going to do tonight we're going to look at the symptoms which um, James describes and then we're going to ask some questions about what it's telling us so first of all what does, what does James tell us uh, well in verse 2 um, he tells us uh, that uh, we suffer from a range of symptoms um, in fact all of us suffer and all of us suffer a range of symptoms because he says in verse 2 that we all stumble in many ways Enoch Powell, uh, very famous for saying, um, well, he's very famous for all sorts of things, I guess, but he's very famous for saying all political careers end in failure. Um, and, uh, and, and I often sort of sit down and, and think about that. Uh, we're probably seeing a few at the moment. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, he said all political careers end in failure. Well, James is sort of making the same point, but about something more, even more important. He's talking about moral failure not uh, failure in other ways. And what he's saying is that um, we, all, um, we all end in moral failure. All of us are moral failures. All of us stumble in many ways. All of us um, get it wrong. All of us let ourselves down, let other people down, let God down. And these, um, these so the, the sort of broad, broad thing he's first saying is, um, as humans, uh, we are moral failures, um, as Paul says similarly, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
um, we are all we are all exhibiting every day a range of of symptoms of moral failures. I think there's huge complacency in the world about this. Um, I think that you know there's there's just not the recognition um, that that we are moral failures, that we are moral bankrupts uh, without God, and uh, and I think it's one of the most important messages that we've got to get across probably if you go back you know 100 years everybody had a an understanding of sin these days there is not that understanding and people people would find it very hard to accept that they are moral failures most people think they're doing okay really um and i think it's i think possibly you know we have to um we have to do as james does here and and sort of set it out straight away and say to people actually we're all moral we're all moral failures and Saying we are all moral failures takes a little bit of the sting out of it, you know, because we're not saying you. And notice uh, that that uh, James says we. He actually says we um, all stumble in many ways. So he he he's accepting that he is one of the people that fails. Uh, but then he goes on, doesn't he, to uh, to point out a particularly significant symptom, um, which is how we use the tongue. Now, I thought I'd go with my analogy, so I looked up, um, I looked up the, the symptoms of measles. All right? So the symptoms of measles are um, fever, malaise, love that, I have that quite often, um, <laughs> runny nose, runny nose, dry cough. Now, so far, you know, it could be a lot of things, couldn't it? Um, conjunctivitis, still could be a lot of things. Uh, now again, a little bit more specific. Red, bluish spots in the mouth. Ah, okay. Skin rash. We would we would not look at fever, malaise, runny nose, dry cough, conjunctivitis, and go, aha, it's measles, would we? We'd look at the skin rash or maybe the spots and go, aha, it's measles. And what James is doing here is he's picking on what he feels is one of the most significant symptoms of the disease that we have, the disease of sin. And he's saying it's the tongue. It's the tongue. And it's perhaps one of the most obvious um, and difficult symptoms. And then he goes on to talk about that symptom a little bit more. So in verse 6, he tells us that this symptom is extremely bad. It is an extremely severe symptom. Uh, it's it, it's it's a major major symptom. Look at the wor- words that he uses. The, the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Oh, you got steady on, James. <laughs> the tongue, a world of unrighteousness. No, he means it. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness because in what you say and how you use your tongue, so much can be reflected and so much damage can be done. Then he calls it a fire. Um, because, you know, it is, it is that serious. It, it burns things. It destroys things. If you don't look after what, you know, your tongue. Not only is it severe, though, he says it's lifelong. This, is a, this disease is lifelong. You know, you can't, you know, it's not something you have one week and then you, you've, you've recovered the next. He says it sets on fire the whole course of life. So this, this sticks with you. This stays with you. This is a... This is so serious that you can't shake it off. It is always with you. Now, when we, when we were at um, Spring Gardens last week, I started to talk about how James you know, talks about how serious 
the tongue is and what, the damage that it can do. And Nick said, well, you know, you've, uh, you've blown it now. You, <laughs> you won't be able to use the same illustration in church because so, so many of us will, will have heard it. Well, we're going to turn it into a quiz, Nick. So, <laughs> how big is the rudder on the Queen Mary? 278 tons. Oh, it's a good guess, 270. <laughs> but you get the idea. It's pretty big, actually. But, you know, compared to the Queen Mary itself, which is 81,000 tons, although it might be slightly different now because it's in a different, it's, it's still there, but it's doing something slightly different. Uh, but it'll be similar kind of size still. You know, 270 versus 81,000. Remember, it's three thousandths the weight. <laughs> Thank you, it is. <laughs> it is three thousandths of the weight. Um, so the, the rudder, um, three thousandths of the weight, um, can turn this massive ship. And what James is saying is that the tongue is a very, very serious symptom because that, that small thing in your mouth can do an incredible amount of damage. Um, so what damage can it do? What impact does this symptom have? He says that basically um, there, are, there are two kinds of damage that this symptom can, uh, can have. One is it damages us. So the way, the way in which we use our tongue, if we use our tongue badly, it ends up damaging us. He says in verse 6, it stains the whole body. Now we could start to think about how that might be. Um, uh, we're not going to because we don't particularly have time. But what he's saying is that the way in which we use our tongue comes back on us. It affects our emotions, it affects our thoughts, it affects the whole way that we, uh, we operate. And, and so it damages us. But it also damages others. So he says in verse 9, we curse people with our tongue. Now, cursing uh, was a particular issue um, in uh, first century Palestine. Um, people went around cursing other people, um, you know, in, in quite a horrible way. Um, and it was a real issue in society. Um, Jesus deals with it, uh, Luke six twenty-seven to 28. He says, love your enemies, do good uh, to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. You know, don't retaliate by cursing. Pray for those who abuse you. Uh, it was a particular issue. And, and so that made me think, um, if, if James is identifying, you know, how the tongue particularly affected other people then, what would our equivalent be? So I don't think going around cursing people is a particular issue. Uh, in 21st century Britain but there will be other things what is it that is a particular issue in the way people speak to each other or communicate with each other um, in our society and are you in danger of being pulled into that um, I just leave that with you um, You know, it might be to do with social media it might not but what is it that we could end up doing very easily that we should not because lots of other people are doing it. Well, it was cursing at the time James was writing. It will be something else now. We need to be alive to that. Uh, but James, James has a particular concern, which is expressed before um, in, in chapter 1. In, in 1 verse 8, he, he attacks people who are double-minded. 
uh, Christians or members of the church who are double-minded, um, who, who, who do one thing, say another, who, you know, um, who are inconsistent in the way that they live, who are hypocritical in the way that they live. And he, he identifies this as a particular impact of this symptom. In verse 10, he says that, you know, blessing and cursing comes out of the same mouth. Um, and, you know, that can't be, that should not be, that must not be. So that inconsistency where, you know, in one setting we behave like that and we speak like that, and in another setting we behave like that and speak like that is not acceptable. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about the register in which we speak. You know, one of the things we teach uh, students in school is that it might be okay to speak to your mates like this, um, but when you're in your GCSE oral or when you go into a job interview, it definitely isn't. That's something slightly different. What we're talking about here is people who are inconsistent in that they may, you know, that they, um, they might swear, they might gossip, they might, uh, you know, speak uh, disrespectfully in one context and then in another context they can be oh so polite. He is really, really warning us against that and we need to be really careful. How do we speak when we're with our non-Christian friends? Do we slide into their way of speaking when we shouldn't? Be really careful, is what he's saying. Um, so those are the symptoms. So how do we deal with them? Well, um, this, is, uh, this is important, uh, but it's only, as we'll discover, part of the picture. Um, if you've got a cold... Um, basically you can't cure it um, it's with you till it finishes being with you you just have to sit it out of course if it's man flu then you take to your bed um, and, 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 uh, and you know lie it out I suppose or whatever but, um, but you know if, you, if you're not suffering from man flu then you might you know get yourself a pack of tissues you might you know get some uh, paracetamol you might buy a decongestant basically you manage the symptoms um, because actually that's all you can do. Um, there is a little bit in, uh, in, in James about managing uh, symptoms. Um, the first one's quite interesting. Um, wisdom to manage risks is how I've uh, seen it. There's a particular example, but I think it has a broader uh, context. And it made me think of uh, a time years ago when I was still young enough to play rugby. And I'd been playing rugby at college and then I went and lived in a house with 10 other people at a Christian youth club. We used to cook together. So one person would cook for everybody each night. So, you know, you'd, you'd cook this massive meal for 10 people. Always because we didn't have much money, always, you know, very, you know, carbohydrate uh, full, always big portions. Um, and shockingly, in 12 months, I put on a stone and a half. And then I got this call from somebody in uh, the bank where I was working, a different branch. Would I turn out and play rugby um, for, uh, the, um, for the area sevens side? Now, for those who don't know rugby, sevens is the, um, the sort of high-speed uh, version of rugby. There's only seven of you on a full-size pitch. So you do a lot of running. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I said, well, yeah, of course. You know, I was so flattered to be asked, I think. Um, I had done no training for, for a, a year and a half, nearly two years. I put on a stone and a half. 
I was completely flabby and out of condition. I turned up. It was the most embarrassing experience of my life to date, possibly of my life ever. Um, you can just imagine, you know, fat boy, fat boy trying to keep up with these serious rugby players in a game of sevens. Um, I just wanted the pitch to open up and swallow me. It was awful. I was, you know, after about two, three minutes of the first game, I was puffing and panting, blowing. Anyway, um, and it was just awful. I think sometimes we just have to know when doing something's not the right thing. Um, and that's what, that's what James is talking about here. He's saying, you know, be careful about the situation that you put yourself in. So in, in verse 2, um, he's talking about um, whether it is a sensible idea uh, to put yourself forward to be a leader in the church. Now, he's not saying, I don't, he's not saying you shouldn't be a leader in the church. I mean, he was one himself, um, and he would have absolutely um, agreed with Paul, I think, that uh, he who aspires to the office of an elder desires a good thing. He's not actually saying that. What he's actually saying is just be careful. Just be careful. Don't put yourself in a situation that, that you can't cope with. And he's saying this in the context of teaching in particular. So being a, a sort of teaching leader in the church. Don't put yourself in that situation because actually, um, you know, you could easily end up saying the wrong thing. I think that's a generally applicable um, thing where, we, you know, if we're in situations where we actually um, can't manage uh, the situation terribly well, that's not a good thing. And it would apply in general to the use of the tongue. So don't put yourself in a situation um, where you might get yourself into a spot of bother. Be sensible. Be sensible. So that's one way of managing this risk of using the tongue in the wrong way. Don't. You know, don't allow yourself to be in a situation where that might be a particular issue. His other, his other piece of advice actually is really blunt. Just don't do it. <laughs> I mean, it's really straightforward. You know, in verse 10, um, where he says, um, this should not be so. Brothers, this should not be so. What he's saying is this inconsistency, the cursing, the poor use of the tongue, it simply should not be stop it it's that simple but that did, uh, did raise the you know thought in my mind well yeah okay but how um just four 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 thoughts really uh, follow uh, jesus's example um jesus in uh, is um described by people in john seven forty six. no man ever spoke like this man you look at the way Jesus spoke that's a very very good place to start actually just look at the way that Jesus spoke to people look at the compassion and the understanding but also look at the fact they didn't shrink from telling people the hard message uh, as well so what we're not saying is we stop saying you know don't, we stop giving the tough message but how do we how do we do it how do we speak to people let's 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 not, be, let's not be judgmental or critical, but sometimes we do need to say to people, I'm really sorry, that's not the right thing. Um, <clears throat> Rhiannon was in, um, was in a situation like that today. She was going 
going off to church this afternoon and she had to say something to somebody and she really wasn't sure whether she'd be able to say it. She really wasn't looking forward to it. Um, we're not saying, you know, don't ever say anything like that. But what we're saying is have a look at how Jesus did it. Um, follow God's wisdom in scripture um, with the risk of treading on Nick's toes for next week in verse 17. Um, that is the advice that we get. Um, it just... Uh, just a little bit further on in the letter um rely on the spirit in prayer i was very struck by the fact that um the first sign of renewal in the church if you like the the, the church after jesus had um, gone back to heaven was the day of pentecost where uh, it was the tongue that was affected so the first sign of the church uh, reaching out to the world was a renewal of people's uh, tongues uh, by the spirit so let's ask for god's help through the Spirit in prayer. And finally, my idea, just be careful what you listen to and what you read, because quite frankly, that will affect how you speak. Um, and, and that's my piece of advice, uh, just, just for me, because what James is saying is, don't do it. Don't do it. And we need to find ways of not doing it. But... Um, as we've been saying all the way through, dealing with, dealing with the symptoms in itself uh, is insufficient. What we need to do is we need to have a diagnosis <coughs> from, uh, from an expert and we need to know what are these symptoms telling us. And they're telling us that there's, uh, there's a problem and the problem, if you like, is the disease. So the tongue, the symptoms, tongue, uh, those symptoms have an impact on others, they have an impact on oneself. Where's that coming from? It's coming from a problem of the heart. It's coming from the disease. So if you like, we need our, we need our house uh, to diagnose the problem. And, and James does that for us. He tells us that this, uh, these symptoms are um, telling us that there's a, a, a disease. Now, um, we were talking about uh, James being influenced by um, Greek thinkers. Um, I'm not sure I can pronounce this guy's name, but I'll have a go. Epictetus. Epictetus, um, in his discourses, wrote this. How can a vine be moved to act, not like a vine, but like an olive? Or again, an olive to act not like an olive, but like a vine. It is impossible, inconceivable. But of course you're thinking, I'm sure Jesus said something like that. Yes, he did. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And uh, Jesus says at another point, uh, you will recognise them by their fruits. There are two big chunks of Jesus' teaching about how we recognize people's heart and what they are you know what is important to them um, by what they say james is remarkably blunt actually isn't he um, he says that the tongue is set on fire verse 10 by hell that's if you if the tongue is being used in the wrong way it's coming from the evil within that is what he's saying. It's that serious. So we, we look at those symptoms and we have to accept 
that there is a disease. A disease of the heart, a disease in our life. It's sin and it needs dealing with. So dealing with the disease. Um, and, uh, and to be fair, we have to sort of go out beyond this passage a little bit uh, to see what um, James says about dealing with it. Um, so, in uh, in verse, sorry, in chapter one, he's already said. Um, so before that, we come to this particular passage, he said, "Of his own will, so of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures." So the 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 fruits of the Christian life, the new life that we have, that fruit um, and what it looks like, um, is God's work. In verse, in chapter one, verse twenty-one, he says, "The implanted word, which is able to save your souls." So the saving of your soul is being done by God's word working in you. So what he's already said. This work, this curing of the disease, is not something you can do on your own. You have to go uh, to God. Um, Paul says many, many uh, similar things in many places. But Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So, again, you know, James and Paul saying the same thing. It is God's work, not ours that saves us but this is the bit in particular uh, it's in um, chapter 4 so he goes on to say this uh, a few verses later um, and you'll recognise it um, draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded there's his concern about inconsistency again and obviously the influence of the Old Testament as well. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I'll read it again. Um, chapter 4, verses 8 and 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, sorry, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And we know that the way that God can exalt us is through the cross, because Jesus has taken our punishment, and therefore God can see us as being perfect. And James is saying in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, that, that, that we're all sinners, we all stumble, in particular, there is a symptom of that sin, uh, which is the way in which we speak one to another and to other people. He's saying you need to deal with that. You need to think very, very carefully about how you use your tongue. But he's also saying that is in itself not the, the answer. I mean, you need to do that, but actually the answer is much deeper than that. Because the only chance you've got of doing that is if you get God's help. And, uh, and, and we need 
to daily humble ourselves before God. We need to thank him uh, for what uh, he first did for us. And we need to ask for his help in living uh, a right Christian life. Amen. Going to uh, sing together.